Welcome to the South Elkhorn Christian Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you enjoy the weekly messages. For bulletin material, reflection guides, and other resources, visit southelkhorncc.org. morning, church. Anything that I say before I read scripture doesn't count towards my 50 minutes of preaching, right? (laughs) So none of this counts. Uh, I just want to say first and foremost, thank you all for having me to come and share a word of good news with you today. And I am especially grateful for my friend and your pastor, uh, the Reverend Michael Schwartzentruber. Would you indulge me in giving thanks to God for Uh, for calling a pastor like him to a congregation here in Lexington, Kentucky. Uh, I met Michael probably uh, 10 years ago or so. We we had some mutual friends and mutual ministry. I was leaving and transitioning uh, out of Middletown Christian Church just as he was coming in. Uh, But then we uh, made a fast friendship and we would meet on a regular basis and have long-winded, verbose conversations about things theological. Um, I'm sure that's hard to imagine uh, that Michael could talk and talk and talk. And let me tell you, I'm a talker too, so you get us in a room together and uh, we will suck the oxygen out of it. So he has been a friend uh, from the first moment that I met him. He's been a, a confidant. He's been somebody who has demonstrated to me as a friend and as a minister that he truly cares. And in that way, he has exemplified for me the light and love of Christ, and for that I am very, very grateful. So thank you, sir. I'm going to be reading from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 5, and I'll be reading verses 13 through 20, although for the preaching itself I will narrow in on just a handful of verses. That doesn't mean it's going to get any shorter, but I'm going to be reading from Matthew, chapter 5, 13 through 20. And I'll be reading from the New Revised Standard Version of the original Greek text, which says, You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how can its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything, but is thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. city built on a hill cannot be hidden. No one, after lighting a lamp, puts it under the bushel basket, but on the lampstand. And it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Do not think I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have come not to abolish, but to fulfill. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth pass away, not one letter, not one stroke of a letter, will pass from the law until all is accomplished." Therefore, whoever breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. This is the word of God for the people of God. And may God add a special blessing to the hearing of this word, which you now go with me in prayer. Gracious and holy God, we bend on knees before you in humility and in gratitude. We thank you that you have brought us all here together to share in the fellowship of your word. We ask in this time, O Lord, that you would open our eyes, our ears, our hearts, and our minds, that you would make fallow the very soil of our souls, 
so that it might become good fertile ground for the planting of your word. And may that seed of truth find depth, and with time intending by your providence and our patience, may that seed grow and bear good fruit for the kingdom of God. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. I'm a pacer, so usually I want to go over here to here to here to here, but I'm going to try to stay in a smaller spot so that not to disorient anyone in the building. Like I said, my name is Joey Pusateri. Uh, I'm the pastor uh, of Open Table Christian Church in Danville, Kentucky. We're an experimental new community that meets at 4.30 on Sunday afternoons. And we are radically and fiercely inclusive. It's a part of our DNA, and I'm very blessed to have been called as such. Um, this morning, I'm focusing on a passage of Scripture that comes to us by way of the lectionary. Now, I'm not typically a lectionary preacher. I think in the time that I would serve pastoral ministries, I might stick to the lectionary anywhere from 50 to 75% of the time. Is that about the same of you? Uh, but since Advent, we at Open Table have been going through the lectionary. And for the few of you who might not know what that is, the lectionary is a calendar of readings that goes on a three-year cycle that serves a couple of different purposes. Number one, I think it helps congregations go through substantial and important parts of Scripture in a logical manner. Uh, it also helps us become in sync with the life of the church so that we understand what it means to be a community together. And then in this mysterious way, it provides unity and synchronicity with other congregations, not only across the globe, but throughout history. It binds us to other believers and followers of Jesus throughout time and space. And so last week, the lectionary reading, which I believe you heard, came from the very beginning of a famous section of Scripture, the so-called Sermon on the Mount. And I believe that you heard the prefatory passages known as the Beatitudes. Now, the Sermon on the Mount, as you may or may not know, is the principal ethical teaching of Jesus. This is about human behavior. And there's always a few things I like to point out about the Sermon on the Mount whenever I'm preaching from it. Number one, it comes very early in the ministry of Jesus according to the Gospel of Matthew. So we know by its primacy in the text, its primacy and importance to what he was here to accomplish to his ministry itself. Uh, secondly, that this is about behavior, as I said, and then most importantly, that the Sermon on the Mount is actually not for everyone. This is not something that Jesus gets on a mountain and preaches to everybody in the area. This is a teaching for disciples. This is a teaching for those who have raised their hands and said, yes, I want to follow you, Lord. Now tell me what in the world does that mean? This sermon answers that question. And why is it important for us to point that out? Because it's difficult to be a disciple. And as we who attempt to live to this higher ethical standard as disciples of Jesus, it becomes tempting for us to turn to judgmentalism at the rest of the world as we observe that others do not obey this high level of ethical behavior. And so it's tempting to wag our fingers rather than look in the mirrors, which is what these 
passages of scriptures are meant to. We are the ones who are supposed to practice nonviolence. We are the ones who are supposed to go the extra mile to turn the other cheek, to eradicate anger and lust and unrighteousness from our hearts. That's our job to do, and it's difficult work. It's not for us to command upon the rest of the world. Last week you heard the Beatitudes, which I think serves as an interesting preface. It's good news because Jesus says that we are blessed and that we are blessed in particular situations when we are at the end of our ropes or poor in spirit, when we are mourning, when we are hungering and thirsting for righteousness, when we are seeking purity, nonviolence, when we are being slandered by those who see us following Jesus. And it's good news because it's a blessing, but it also serves as a warning because to follow Jesus means you will inevitably find yourself in times when you are hungering and thirsting for righteousness. There are times in which you will be mourning. There are times when you will be at the end of your rope. After that point, he moves immediately into the passage that we just heard, which is this business of salt and light. And it's upon this passage that I want to fixate and focus for the preaching and teaching so that we might discern a good, uh, a word of good news for all of us here today. Now, uh, you may not know this, but I believe that this passage has a lot to do with a familiar subject that we find throughout Scripture, which is the subject of boundary lines, of categories, of holiness and unholiness, of clean and unclean. Now, we know that those are familiar themes that we find throughout Scripture. Uh, we find them all throughout the Old Testament. It seems like people in the Old Testament were obsessed with clean and unclean, holiness and unholiness, categories and boundary lines. And we as Christians are sensitive to talk of boundary lines, of categories, of holiness and unholiness, of clean and unclean in a very specific way, such as the way that we look at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. So to zoom forward in chapter 8, when Jesus descends the mountain, you may remember that he encounters first a man who has leprosy. And a man who has leprosy in the ancient world was considered unclean. He was disgusting. He was somebody that you should not touch, particularly somebody who is holy, lest you become contaminated with whatever it is that makes this man unclean. But this man who has leprosy approaches Jesus. He says, if you are willing, Lord, you can make me clean. He says, I am willing. He touches him, and the man is presumably made clean. Now, this is good news for all of us, and this is the good news that we usually focus on because we recognize in this day and age that there are ways in which we categorize people as clean and unclean. We recognize that there are injustices out there in the way that we stigmatize and categorize people, such as those who have been incarcerated, right? You have people who are incarcerated, and when they come out of prison, they have this stigma attached to them called felon. And because they are called a felon, uh, it is now legal to discriminate against them to get a job, to get housing, to get education. Uh, you can discriminate them against them in all kinds of ways because they have this mark called felon on them. And the irony is, sometimes the reason that they have that particular designation is not because they're any more immoral than any of us. They 
They just happen to get caught at the wrong time doing something that a lot of us used to do in our youthful indiscretions. And because of that difference, because of the resources they did or did not have, because of the path of their life that landed them in that particular place and time, because of decisions that they have made, which many of us have made, but their path went this way when ours went that way, they are now marked as unclean. And the good news that we see in Scripture is that Jesus has come to redraw those categories. Jesus has come to tear down those walls. Jesus has come to say, those who you have called unclean are children of God, and they are deserving of the dignity and humanity as every other child of God. They are your sisters and your brothers and should be treated as such. And we are grateful for that. We are grateful that we draw lines. We are grateful that Jesus breaks down barriers. We are grateful that he breaks down boundary lines. But this morning, I want to look at it a different way, this business of boundary lines, this, dis, this uh, business of barriers, this business of clean and unclean. So what do I mean by that? Well, in the text, we have this little passage about salt. So Jesus says, you, my disciples, are the salt of the earth. And then he asks a rhetorical question. He says, if salt has lost its taste, then how can its saltiness be restored? And now we're not meant to dive too deeply into that question, but if we think about it, well, hypothetically, if salt has lost its taste, then we don't know how its saltiness could be restored. Indeed, it is good for nothing else except to be tossed out and trampled underfoot, to be gotten rid of. It serves no useful purpose. What I want to focus on here today is a little bit deeper. It's how precisely could salt lose its saltiness? I mean, salt doesn't expire, does it? That doesn't make sense because actually salt is used as a preservative to keep things from expiring. That's one of the functions of salts. Well, I asked myself that question and I thought deeply about it. And then somebody tapped me on the shoulder and told me the answer. And he said, you know, Joe, if you were to have a handful of salt, and I said, okay, make that salt useless, what would you do with it? How could you cause that salt to lose its taste, its saltiness? And I thought about it for a while, and he gave me the answer. He said, well, if you were to sprinkle some sand in it, or some dirt in it, which looks like salt, if you were to put some sugar in it, then you would lose the saltiness, you would lose the flavor, you would make it worthless and no good except to be thrown away. And so the, the instruction of this particular passage when Jesus says, if salt has lost its saltiness, the implication is you must keep your salt from becoming contaminated. A lot of times we think about that in terms of how much in the world we should be and how much of the world we should be. Some people say, well, in order to stay salty, in order to serve my purpose as a Christian, I should withdraw from the culture, withdraw from society. I should become like an ascetic monk that lives out in the wilderness. I should make sure that I don't watch TV or I don't access the Internet, that I have no access to social media, so on and so forth, that I don't even dress in the way that the culture does. And there are people who do that. And there are others who say, no, that's not what the passage is about. We need to stay salt in the world. That's the point is that we're in the world. And so we should be real. We should be relevant. We should meet people where they are. We should study the culture. We should become embedded in the culture so that we can perform our function. And these are all good questions to have. But I want to look at this business of keeping your salt pure, of staying salty, of not losing your flavor in a more intimate and personal way in our interpersonal relationships. I want to talk about boundary lines. 
And we all know, would you all say that with me, boundary lines? Just want to make sure everyone's still awake. Boundary lines. We all know what boundary lines are. Physical boundary lines are that area that I feel comfortable in space. And we all know what that's like because if somebody steps into our uh, personal space, if we uh, encounter a so-called close talker, we we feel uncomfortable. I, I'm not going to do it because I know the cameras won't follow me. But if I came and I stood about three feet away from you, you would feel a little bit uncomfortable. And the fact the fact that I'm talking to you and looking at you is starting to make you feel a little. This is about boundary lines. This is about understanding implicitly that there is space in physical space, in time, in our emotions, that things are appropriate on this side of the line and inappropriate on that side of the line. And the reason I want to talk about that today is because even though we all know that we're supposed to stay within our space, I'm a human being and I know human beings and I know that we are really good at getting outside of our lines. Are we good at getting outside of our boundary lines? Have you ever had anyone violate your boundary lines? Well, there are different ways that this can happen. We can step out of the circle that is designated for us, or we could allow people to come inside our circle, or we could just fail to draw boundary lines altogether. So I'll give you a few examples of what I'm talking about. Uh, I'm a person in long-term recovery, and so part of what it means to be in long-term recovery, to stay sober from drugs and alcohol, is that I have to take other people who are trying to get sober through the steps. I'm obligated to serve. It's one of the ways that I stay sober, by helping other people stay sober. And what that means is that I sponsor guys, and when I sponsor somebody, my job is to take them through the 12 steps of recovery. My job is to show them that even though you don't think this is going to work and that these steps don't make any sense, that if you just trust me and you trust that this works and you do what it is that I show you to do, that you too will experience what I experience. I teach people how to make a moral inventory. I teach people how to confess the things that they've done to somebody who is sympathetic. I teach people how to make amends. I teach people how to cultivate a relationship with a higher power, even those who have experienced rejection in religious circles in the past. And I teach them how to help other people. Now, when that happens and when I perform my role, then I give somebody the opportunity to experience the miracle that is long-term recovery. But I am so often tempted and I so often fall prey to the temptation of stepping outside of my boundary lines. And before I know it, I'm becoming a marriage counselor. And before I know it, I'm giving financial advice. And then I'm teaching them how to raise their children. And then I'm giving them rides and giving them money and taking them places. I'm doing the things that all sound like good things because I want to serve. But I'm doing the things that are outside of the role that I'm given. And without exception, every time I violate that role that I've been given, that call that I've been given, those boundary lines that have been drawn, every time it's ended up disastrously. And we've had to part ways and they have to find another sponsor. I don't know what it is because it comes out of compassion, but every time I step beyond the limits of my capability, my calls, and my competency, things happen that I don't want to happen, and everything falls apart. How about allowing other people to violate our boundary lines? I'll give you an example of this. When I was a new minister, I and maybe you experienced this too, everyone wanted me to be on their board. Everyone. Like... I just, I felt so important. Like, 
We, we, want you to, we want you to be on this, on this charity board. We want you to be on this board uh, for the Habitat Humanity Restore. We want you to be on this board uh, for this prison ministry and so on and so forth. And, and I just said, yes, and yes, and yes. I, of course I'll be on your board. And, and what's more, I would get on the board and I don't know how it happened, but I always ended up as the treasurer. You want to know why? Because nobody wants to be the treasurer. But when they asked me, I was like, they're asking me. They must see something in me that I don't see. But sure, I'll be your treasure. Now, let me tell you something. I was a comparative literature major in college. My master's is in divinity. There ain't no math in either one of those degrees. I haven't done real math since I was 17, which is those years ago. So... I had no business being treasure. And what would happen? Because I just kept saying yes and saying yes and saying yes, it would end disastrously. disastrously. I wouldn't be able to do my job well. I didn't serve well. I was a disappointment to others. I was a disappointment to myself. And in the meantime, I robbed people who had a primary call on my time, i.e. my family. I had my primary responsibilities that had to take a back seat to these things that I kept saying yes to over and over and over and over again. It took me a long time to learn how to say no. And let me just tell you, pray for your pastor because a pastor has a lot of people who make calls on their time. And it's a discipline to learn how to say no, not because they don't want to help, not because they don't love you, but because they want to serve you the best way that they can and the best way that they're called. And the only way that they can do that is to establish and maintain good boundaries. I have a friend, uh, uh, Pastor Williams. Uh, you know Pastor Williams. He he talked one time about how he did a, a, uh, a, a revival out in a park one Saturday. And it was a great revival. A lot of people showed up. It was in a big park in Louisville. And afterwards, because he's a humble guy and he's not beyond doing manual labor, he started to help put up the chairs. And somebody came to him and said, no, 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 pastor, I, I got that. You don't need to do that. He said, no, 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 it's no big deal. Just because I'm the pastor doesn't mean I can't help put away chairs. And the guy stopped. He said, no, you don't understand. He said, I need you tomorrow. I need you tomorrow. I need what you have to say. My life depends on the word of good news that you bring me every single Sunday. So I need you at home studying or resting or preparing or whatever it is that you do so that you can bring me what I need to get throughout the week. I can take care of the chairs. And when I heard that, that made a lot of sense to me. Because I'm, I'm one that wants to pick up the chairs and do those kinds of things because I like to be seen as the guy that can chip in and help roll up his sleeves. But that's not always what I'm called to do. And then there's the inability to establish boundaries at all. Uh, for those who are ordained ministers in the room, they know that in the Christian Church Disciples of Christ, we have to do boundary training uh, every five years. And I remember the first time I went to boundaries training as a minister, I thought, what a waste of time this is. Like, they could have just sent me a letter that said, don't sleep with the people in your congregation. I'd have been like, got it, you know, like, understood. You know, and I thought, this, this is kind of a strange training. I mean, I guess there are, I mean, there are malicious people out there. There are people who are up to no good. But I think most of us, you know, that, that's, that's not what we're here for. You know, I'm married, happily married, and family. I'm not in the business of breaking this up. I'm just trying to preach a word of good news. But I went to this training, and somebody was like, listen, nobody takes a church on thinking they're going to sleep with the people in their congregation. That's not how this thing works. What happens is, this is a tough job, and you get worn down, and you get really lonely and isolated, and nobody understands what you're going through. 
And sometimes you might find yourself in a situation where there's somebody who seems to understand and they seem to care. And there's some kind of energy between the two of you. And before you know it, inappropriate things are happening. So the important thing is to not put yourself in that situation. The important thing is to build good boundary lines so that you don't have a couch in your office, that you don't meet with people when there's no one else in the building, that you don't do these things, not because you're up to no good or you're a predator. It's that when the things, when things like that happen, they because you're in a vulnerable place and you don't want to be in a risky, bad situation when you're in a vulnerable place. It's the same reason as somebody that doesn't drink alcohol. I don't hang out at bars. Not because I think I would be tempted to drink if I went to a bar, but because when those moments come, if somebody dies or leaves me, whenever the world starts to fall apart, whenever I'm in a really bad place, I don't want to be in a bar when that happens because it's too easy to reach for a drink. So the establishment of boundaries are important. Now, we all know this. We all know these kinds of things. It's easy to hear Jesus say, keep your salt salty, establish good boundaries, stay behind them, play your role. Wonderful but we don't do it, so it must be a little more difficult than that. Well, here's the good news of the text. This is how we do it. This is why we can do it. This is what I want to give you so that we can leave this place and we can be better disciples of Jesus in this way. Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth. That was it. That was it. No. (laughs) I must not have said it right. You or the salt of the earth. We cross boundary lines. We let other people cross our boundary lines. We fail to establish them in the first place because I believe in a deep down fundamental way we have fallen for the illusion and the lie that there is something lacking within us for which we need to reach out and grab something outside us. We need that validation from other people. I need somebody to pat me on the back and say, good boy for joining all of our boards and being the treasure besides. I need my children not only to see me as a father, but to see me as a friend. Anyone have teenagers in their family? Yeah, and they pull away and you're like, what's this all about? Like a couple years ago, mommy and daddy were the coolest people on the planet. You ever felt that tinge of temptation to become your child's friend instead of their parent? That's a disaster in the making. Why? Because they need a parent. They got plenty of friends. But it takes somebody who's very secure in themselves and know that they don't need the validation of a 17-year-old in order to feel good about themselves. That they can let go and have faith that the process is happening, that they can play a better role in their child's life by being a parent, even if that means that they're not going to get a word for them except by text message, for about three days in a row. You are the salt of the earth. We think that we're worthless. We think that we're the sand. We think that we're the dirt. We think that we have to get outside of ourselves and get things from other people's spaces in order to be okay, in order to be validated, in order to be affirmed, in order to be humanized. But the truth is you are already that. You are the salt of the earth. God has given you a call. God has given you a purpose. God has a design for your life. You are meant to season and salt the world around you. And you cannot do that unless you take that role and responsibility seriously and you protect yourselves from all kinds of violations from it. You are the salt of the earth. 
You must protect those boundary lines because one day that salt will be called into some places where there's nothing else available to give it flavor. I have a friend that I met one time who said that he was trying to get sober. He was trying to do the right thing. He'd been sober for a little bit of time, but he went to the police in order to turn himself in for some past crimes. And he thought, he thought, he thought that what they were going to tell him is, you know what? You've been sober. You're doing a good job. We're going to give you a little bit of probation. They gave him six years And I met him in a jail and I was like, ooh, are you bitter? Are you angry? He said, well, I was a little bitter and angry at first, but then I realized that God has a purpose for me. And if I'm here, then maybe this is where God wants me to be. And he recognized his saltiness. He recognized what he had to offer. He recognized the flavor that he could give to that community. He said, I know how to stay sober and none of these guys do. Maybe that's how God wants me to be in this place. Some of you are in families that need a little bit of salt. Some of you are in communities that need a little bit of salt. All of us are in a world of injustices that need a little bit of salt. And of every single way that God could accomplish this mission, of every single way that God could have envisioned the way that God's kingdom would come on earth, what God decided to do was to call you and you and you and you and you and to create you the way that you are exactly the way that God wanted you. And instead of going out and contaminating your salt by becoming all kinds of things that you're not, our job is to be exactly that so that God can use us day in and day out with our hands and with our feet to more closely make this world resemble the kingdom of God. You are the salt of the earth. You bring flavor. You bring value. You preserve what is good and what is right. And that is worth protecting. You are the light of the world. You are God's beloved children. You are the blessed congregation that has asked me to come and share a word with you. And you're the people who I am so grateful to and to whom I say thank you and God bless. Amen. Thanks for listening to the message this week. Visit southelkorncc.org where you can download reflection and discussion guides to dig deeper into the weekly scripture and message.